This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, September 1st, 2009. I'm Caleb Brown. As the housing bubble was being inflated, the signs were there, and they were ignored, according to Johan Norberg, author of the new Cato book, Financial Fiasco, How America's Infatuation with Homeownership and Easy Money Created the Economic Crisis. We spoke following a forum for the book today. You said in the forum today that during the construction of the housing boom, quote, the invisible hand was nowhere to be seen. What did you mean by that? I mean that we've got 39,000 people working full time in the U.S. to regulate financial markets. And on every step along the way, when it comes to monetary policy, housing policy, financial regulation, we see the very visible hand of of governments, of regulation that affects and often distorts behavior. And uh, and that's what we see when the, the credit bubble was inflated, how easy money from the Fed, lowering of interest rates, made it interesting suddenly to borrow, create a lot of leverage, the housing bubble was formed. And at the same time, we had the political pressure to constantly increase the rate of home ownership through via different sorts of deductions, uh, government insurance policies, and the government-sponsored enterprises, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, with their sole purpose of making sure that more mortgages, housing loans, were given to people who weren't on the market before. So we had a lot of political and regulatory pressure to make sure that we had a, a very, very large credit and housing bubble. Hindsight is twenty twenty, and... Uh I don't think any libertarian would dispute that uh, a lot of these institutions that had been built up by the government, subsidized by the government to uh, promote uh, certain borrowing or lending or purchases uh, are inappropriate on their own merits. But uh, in terms of, for for instance, Fed policy, at what point, without the benefit of hindsight, should these people have said, "Aha, here we need to make we need to make a change in policy?" I think that should have happened at uh, 2002-2003 when interest rates were reduced that dramatically after the the dot com boom and the uh, 9/11 terrorist attacks. A lot of people could find it reasonable that um, Fed tried to oil the the machinery and make sure that uh, the recession wasn't very deep. But the fact that they kept reducing it and kept it that low at 1% for an entire year means that this was a a very arbitrary and discretionary policy that based on on their own um, interest not to uh, be seen as someone who um, makes makes a an economic situation more more difficult rather than an objective analysis and and fed spokes people said that yeah this might create an inflationary bubble somewhere else but we'll have to deal with that subsequently well this is subsequently and but they should have seen it coming at that time and and then in 2002 they also did something else they began to say that we will never do anything that uh, threatens a a boom or a bubble in the economy we we don't even know if anything like that is going on so even if they pushed for it even if they with the easy money made sure that they built up asset prices they said that we're not going to threaten this in any way we're going to mop up Afterwards, in other way, they created new moral hazards. People on the market, they knew that we're able to take a lot of risks because, in the end, Fed is going to practically bail us out by lowering interest rates again. And at that time, people should have been more worried. How effective do you think the Fed could have been uh, at raising rates 
given how a lot of market interest rates had essentially decoupled from uh, federal funds rates, driven largely by massive inflows of, of foreign capital. It doesn't seem like perhaps that that one lever that the Fed has would have been terribly effective at actually uh, deflating with uh, less pronounced problems the bubble that had been growing and was growing. This is something that defenders of Fed say all the time. Look, there are <clears throat> global factors and a global savings glut that made it impossible for us to increase interest rates more. But that's something that Fed said and Greenspan said only after having built up the real estate bubble for three years with extremely low interest rates. And only at that time, in 2004, they began to say, hmm, this is strange, long-term interest rates, they don't... They don't uh, follow the short-term interest rates up when we begin to increase it again. But that was true in the 1990s, though, wasn't it? We've, we've seen different aspects of this coming now and then, but the big inflow of money from, uh, the, from emerging markets really began only after t- 2000. And, and this is, in a way, a result of their countries saying that, <clears throat> look, we never want to go through the Asian crisis again when we became dependent on other countries' capital, so we have to build our own reserves. And where do you put your reserves? Where it feels more most safe to do it, in, in the US, where we always can, can get our money back, which is not always the case in their own countries. But um, but then if if I think there's a lot of research also showing that um, Short-term interest rates had, has an important influence on long-term interest rates, especially when Fed sends out the message that interest rates are going to be very low for a considerable period, which is what Fed did at, at this time. And, and even if they began to increase rates in 2004, it was from 1% to 1.25 and from 1.25 to 0.5. So it was very low, very little. And that means that their overall policy was still very expansionary because they had to make sure that interest rates were that low. So even if they, they, it looked like they were uh, sort of being more hawkish, the overall policy was still extremely uh, much in favor of cheap money. And I think that influenced long-term rates as well. One of the chief criticisms of the Fed in general, uh, Ron Paul, probably chief among them in terms of being a public critic of the Federal Reserve, argues that the Fed itself creates uh, uh, bubbles in, in various assets uh, over time. What should the federal government response be? What should the response be about uh, dealing with a Federal Reserve that may be uh, distorting fundamentals of the economy all over the place? Well, it depends a bit on how how radical you want to be. I mean, there are all these solutions, talk of of, uh, abolishing Fed and finding other ways of organizing uh, the monetary system. And I think it's important to start that kind of discussion. It has been very... It has not been, there, we haven't seen a discussion like that. That's because everything seems to be working all right. Now we know it doesn't. But I think... In, within the system that we have today, I think there are ways of, of dealing with it and making sure that we don't see these extreme um, changes. One of them being actually reducing the, the ability of uh, Fed of being too discretionary and too arbitrary in their decision and making sure that they have to abide by specific rules and by specific um, 
systems on how how to uh, how and what to do. Milton Friedman proposed that we should just make sure that they're allowed to increase um, the um, monetary supply by the same amount that the economy is growing. Perhaps that's one sort of solution. Perhaps there are others. We need a discussion about it because now we know that the system is broken. You argue that uh, we should get rid of a lot of regulations uh, governing banks, deposit insurance, and other things, and, and essentially force banks into the situation where they have to evaluate these decisions themselves, consider the risks themselves, knowing that there is no uh, someone off in the distance in Washington who's going to take care of it uh, should things go wrong. Is that, in essence, an argument for uh, greater volatility in the economy? It is, in a way. And I think the analogy that has been mentioned once in a while is uh, the one with forest fires. Once upon a time, uh, foresters tried to stop all the fires because they well thought that was the way to take care of, of the environment. But then they realized after a while that this created a... a a lot of dead wood and uh, difficult uh, lumbers uh, that might be um, dangerous in the future and create even worse fires. And in the end, you'll get one that you're not that you can't stop. So perhaps it's good with once in a while small controlled fires uh, to make sure that we don't build up systems of well bad investments in the economy, uh, making sure that. People know that there are risks. There are always risks in the market. The, the question is, are you bearing those risks yourself or is the, 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 are the ta- taxpayers or someone else supposed to, to, to deal with them? And I think that many of these um, institutions bailing out um, failed banks and financial institutions and deposit insurances and so on, have really they, they make the economy look safer, but in the end they make sure that we behave in more risky ways. President Roosevelt was actually opposed to the deposit insurance when that was implemented in 1933 because he said, this is a subsidy for the worst bankers out there. Because now in the future, people, clients will just walk into a bank and go to the one who has the highest interest rates and they won't care about if they are dangerous, what they do with the money, the kind of risks they take because the government will always step in to, to do this so that you will see a race to the bottom when it comes to risks. And, um, and that's a way for us to create a false sense of security in the economy and sooner or later we see crises like this. We need, to that extent, yeah, a bit more volatility. Johan Norberg is author of the new Cato book, Financial Fiasco, How America's Infatuation with Home Ownership and Easy Money Created the Economic Crisis. You can get your copy at Cato.org.